Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. As Syria tries to recover from a nearly decade-long war, the U.S. has imposed crippling new sanctions that explicitly target reconstruction. Under the so-called Caesar Act, the U.S. government will target anyone who does business with the Syrian government. The measure singles out three sectors of Syrian society, the military, the gas industry, and reconstruction and government-held areas, the place where most Syrians live. According to the Washington Post, quote, for Syrians, sanctions on reconstruction and on oil and gas are likely to be felt most acutely. The Caesar Act will probably limit the government's ability to procure oil, further hurting the already low quality of life, unquote. These sanctions have already had a major toll even before coming into force. Just last week, the Syrian pound hit a record low, plunging to less than a fifth of its value of one year ago. And that follows the suffering caused by previous U.S.-led sanctions. In 2018, a U.N. report warned that sanctions, quote, have had a devastating impact on the entire economy and the daily lives of ordinary people, unquote. The Caesar Act is named after the pseudonym used by a Syrian military officer who leaked more than 50,000 photos documenting deaths and torture inside Syria. The photo collection contains multiple images of the same victims. Now, there is no doubt that the Syrian government practices brutal torture and kills prisoners. But lost in the media coverage of the Caesar photos are some key facts. For one, according to Human Rights Watch, just under half of the photos capture killings and attacks committed by anti-government militants. There are over 24,000 of such photos, while there are over 28,000 photos documenting killings, attacks, and torture by the Syrian government. That suggests the photos captured killings committed by both sides of a brutal multi-year war that tore Syria apart. The initial investigation of the Caesar photos was also funded by the Qatari government which played a key role in funding the anti-government militants fighting Assad in Syria. As the Christian Science Monitor noted, while all the allegations might well be plausible, the Caesar report itself is nowhere near as credible as it makes out and should be viewed for what it is, a well-timed propaganda exercise funded by Qatar, a regime opponent who has funded rebels fighting Assad who have committed war crimes of their own. When the Caesar photos first emerged, it was just before critical peace talks between Assad and the opposition. Well, to discuss the Caesar Act and its implications for Syria and the Middle East, I'm joined by Elijah Magnier, a veteran war correspondent who has covered the Middle East for more than three decades. Elijah Magnier, welcome to pushback. Syria has already been under heavy sanctions from the U.S. and its allies. So what is new about the Caesar Act and what do you think its impact will be? Um, the Caesar Act doesn't uh, aim to cripple Syria's economy only. It aims to cripple Syria, Lebanon and Iraq economy if they don't abide by the new U.S. sanctions on Syria. So just to re remind people that the Caesar Act was implemented in 2016, but was uh, suspended by President Barack Obama uh, because he didn't want to disturb the relationship and the negotiation between the Americans and the Russians uh, over how to organize their presence in Syria. And what Caesar Act is doing today is trying to cripple the Syrian economy 
by imposing the harsh sanctions on the Syrian population, and it aims particularly to the friend of the United States, and that is uh, Saudi Arabia, the Emirates, uh, United Arab Emirates, um, uh, countries like Qatar, uh, like uh, Malaysia, all these countries wanted to return to Syria, to reopen their embassies and to do business with Syria, to be involved in the reconstruction. So the Caesar Act has prevented these countries from returning to Syria and from helping the reconstruction of uh, Syria after nine years of war. And um, it is not going to affect uh, the allies of Syria. And here we're talking about China, Russia, Iran, and Hezbollah and Iraq, because these countries will not abide by the U.S. sanctions and they don't feel concerned to uh, uh, honor um, a unilateral sanction by the U.S., particularly when they know they don't come from the United Nations and there is no agreement uh, uh, on these sanctions. So basically what the, what the Americans are doing is to, they are contributing and devaluating the local currency in Syria. They are contributing and devaluating the local currency in Lebanon. And they are putting pressure on the Iraqi government by saying, if you don't do what we want, you are in need of cash. Uh, and if you want to help Syria and keep the borders open with Syria and collaborate because the ISIS trouble between Syria and Iraq and the collaboration is mandatory, is not an option. So the Americans are saying, if you continue to collaborate with Syria, if you continue to allow the goods flowing from Syria to Iraq and vice versa, then you will not benefit from the cash that we can provide you to support you in your economy. The Caesar Act specifically singles out the construction sector in Syria. You say that uh, Russia, China, Iran, these major powers will not abide by that targeting um, from the U.S. But do you think that that will be enough for Syria's reconstruction? Can Syria still rebuild from this catastrophic war with the U.S. government imposing such crippling sanctions specifically on its capacity to to rebuild? Well, I think it's going to be uh, more difficult and longer for the Syrian to reconstruct their countries. But I, uh, I would like to say something here. Already the Europeans have imposed sanctions on Syria and were not moving to reconstruct Syria because they are afraid of the Americans. Already the Arab Gulf countries are not moving to Syria without the approval of the United States. So what the Americans are trying to do is they want to try to gain with the sanction what they failed to achieve um, in nine years of war. They try to create a failed state in Syria to impose the jihadists and Qaeda and ISIS when the Israeli uh, defense minister uh, Moshe Alon said, we prefer to have ISIS on our borders. That was the objective. The objective was to uh, create a failed state and to allow ISIS to win and to create a new Middle East that doesn't pose any danger on Israel. So if Syria, I mean, I would like to say something. The Americans sent a message to Assad um, via the uh, United Arab Emirates. And they say, if you give up on Iran, we can still work with you. We can disregard the Caesar Act 
and we can rebuild the country and bring you what you need to reconstruct the country. But you have to give up on Iran and you have to give up on Hezbollah and close the borders on any supply of weapons to the axis of the resistance. And Assad, of course, refused because he understands that the U.S. conditions that were formulated only uh, last month, and I'm talking about uh, uh, the month of May, um, to the uh, to uh, the president to President Assad, and Assad refused because he knows that the Americans first are not sincere in their uh, offer. Second, it is Iran and the Hezbollah and Russia who help Syria to avoid um, uh, a, a regime uh, a, a regime change, and uh, they are the one who defeated Al Qaeda and ISIS in Syria. And the Americans um, are not going to fulfill any of their uh, promises and certainly will not rebuild Syria. So what they are, what the, the um, Caesar Act is going to do today is uh, going to uh, um, postpone the total reconstruction of Syria uh, to uh, more years, but will not stop the process. And also what the Americans are doing, and people tend to ignore that, is they're preventing the return of Syrian refugees to the country to contribute in the reconstruction of Syria. And this is what the government in Damascus wants. And uh, so the Americans are trying on so many levels to try to win in Syria what they did not manage to win in nine years war of war. And this is not going to happen because Syrian allies are not going to allow Syria to fall again uh, in the hands of the dismantling of uh, the Levant. Just to clarify something, how is the U.S. government preventing the return of refugees to Syria? And you say that the government in Damascus wants this, as in they want the refugees to return or they want them not to return? The Syrian government wants the refugee to return, first to rebuild the army, second to rebuild the country, reconstruct it. The Syrian are uh, extremely creative and they have a very good labor uh, in um, reconstructing their country. Uh, uh, in the in matter of fact, they are the one who are uh, heavily involved in reconstructing Lebanon. They are the one working in all different countries in the Middle East because they are uh, artisans. They are very good workers and they are uh, capable of reconstructing their country. So what they are doing, the United Nations is offering $260 for every Syrian refugee in Lebanon, in Jordan, in Turkey, because this amount is a huge amount in comparison to the local Syrian currency. And why would the Syrian return to his country where he will never be able to manage to uh, earn $260 a month when he can get that for free uh, in as a refugee and also do extra works here and there wherever he or she is? Therefore, the United Nations is trying to prevent the return of the Syrian to Syria uh, under the excuse of um, uh, the government in Syria is not legitimate, although the, the Americans are saying they don't want to remove uh, the uh, President Assad from power, and also because they want to prevent the Syrian government from running the presidential elections by saying there are six or seven million refugees abroad, therefore whatever elections you're going to run are um, 
not recognized because not all the Syrians participate and they can, they think they can condemn the election and just not recognize Assad as a president because they are sure he's going to win on the forthcoming elections. Well, but also with the elections, it is true that in Syria, at least before the proxy war began, the elections in Syria were basically uh, a state-run affair and that only state-approved candidates could run. I imagine they would be the same now. Well, I think if we take the elections all over the Middle East, we see in Jordan there are no elections, in Kuwait there are no elections, Saudi Arabia there are no elections, in the Emirates there are no elections. In the Middle East, the matter of election is completely particular and completely different from what we know as democratic elections in the West. Uh, and in Syria today, if we uh, agree that the elections are just a formality, I don't think there are many people who would like to vote for someone who is not Assad today, particularly when he is the one who's saying, I will pre protect the Christians, I will protect the Alawite, I will protect the uh, Kurds, I will protect the Sunni, and I will protect the seculars and everybody can live under my ruling instead of having uh, uh, Al-Qaeda-type ruling where they exclude all other religions, and not only they exclude them, they just cut their head off. It reminds me of uh, that leaked conversation with John Kerry and some members of the Syrian opposition where he said that uh, that the U.S. government was had been watching as ISIS advances on Damascus, and they felt confident that actually uh, there would have been a, gov a, a ISIS government inside Syria had Russia not intervened, which is a reality of this war that we often don't hear about. The reason Russia came in is because ISIL was getting stronger. Daesh was threatening the possibility of going to Damascus and so forth. And that's why Russia came in, because they didn't want a Daesh government. And they supported Assad, and and uh, and we know that this this was growing. We were watching. We saw that that Dash was growing in strength, and we thought Assad was threatened. Can you talk about the scale of the suffering that Syria was seeing even before these sanctions? I want to read to you a couple of things. There was an L.A. Times report back in 2018 on the impact of U.S. sanctions, even well before the Caesar sanctions uh, are kicking in. And the Times wrote this, before the war, Syria could turn to pharmaceutical factories in Aleppo and near Damascus to fill 90% of its medicine needs. But for businessmen to rebuild their smashed factories, they need to import machines and replacement parts, not to mention raw materials from reputable sources to produce medicine. And the Times also spoke to um, a doctor who was in charge of an emergency care wing at a hospital. And the doctor, whose name is Salah Ismail, said he estimated that 10% of those suffering from kidney failure in his hospital had died because the dialysis machines in his hospital were not working. So can you give us a sketch of just already what what the proxy war has meant in terms of destroying Syria and destroying things like 90% of its capacity to 
provide medicine for its own people, as the Times said, and, you know, impacting people, uh, patients inside hospitals, unable to get the care that they need? Well, that's a very good question. First of all, if we look at Aleppo, Aleppo has been completely devastated by Turkey, where all the uh, or pro-Turkish groups, where all the factories, because Aleppo was the second capital of Syria and was the heart and the nerve of its capital and its industry. Um, and Turkey, uh, uh, all the pro-Turkish groups in Syria have dismantled all the factories, including the uh, medical factories, and they shipped everything to Turkey. Now, it is true that there is a lack of medicine, that Syria is one of the uh, best um, medicine producers. Um, it was. It was. Yeah, was, was. And um, uh, just to tell you something, that Iran, since uh, um, uh, the month of November, is building in Syria uh, the infrastructure needed to reconstruct its pharmaceutical uh, industry. It has not... Uh, it's not yet finished. And it is true that the um, not only the dialysis um, uh, patients are suffering uh, because they don't have the machines are not available. Also, the, uh, they don't have uh, the necessary injection like Epitin, who is lacking and uh, there are shortage in the country. I've been in Syria in February the last time I was there, so I, that was also a problem. Uh, and there are other uh, cancer medicine that are lacking. But I think Iran is trying to cope with the demand and trying to fill up some of the gaps. And I think in a matter of few months, this is, will be solved because Iran has been also in the same situation a few decades ago, and they've managed to produce their own medicine. They are selling uh, their medicine abroad, and they have established a small business in Lebanon, and they're establishing a very big business in Syria today because they are preparing to face the Caesar law, and they're trying to make Syria self-sufficient. But yes, the Caesar, uh, the uh, US and EU sanctions is crippling the pharmaceutical industry in uh, Syria, and is also crippling its oil and gas because the U.S. are occupying the north uh, east of the country where the main uh, uh, energy production is. But again, Iran is trying to compensate that. And in a week time, uh, a, a, uh, an Iranian tanker is going to reach Syria to um, supply it with the needed gasoline and petrol. I, I just, uh, I hope you're right that Syria can recover on this front. I'm just not as optimistic, I guess, especially as I see Iran itself suffering heavily under the U.S. sanctions. I want to read one more quote on the issue of healthcare in Syria because it's so infuriating to see that a country has been destroyed via a proxy war with such heavy involvement from the U.S. and its allies. And now, as it's trying to rebuild from that devastating proxy war, the U.S. is stepping in to try to prevent that rebuilding. So this is a, a uh, from a U.N. Special Rapporteur on Sanctions report on the impact of previous sanctions on Syria. And the rapporteur wrote this. Prior to the current crisis, Syria enjoyed some of the highest levels of care in the region. The demands created by the crisis have overwhelmed the system and created extraordinarily high levels 
of need. So it's just so striking to to read that that before this proxy war began, Syria has some of the highest levels of care in the entire Middle East, but now all of that is destroyed. And as it tries to rebuild from that, it gets punished again. Yes, that's true. Syria is punished and uh, it is punished because it needs to be submitted to the U.S. Uh, dominance. And Syria is not going to be submitted to the U.S. dominance. And the allies of Syria are going to stand next to the Syria and try their best. Even if Iran is under sanction, Iran is trying to support Syria. But now the sanctions are not crippling the Syrian government. They indeed, as you rightly said, they're crippling the Syrian population. They're preventing the Syrian population from having their medicine. Uh, they're pre preventing the Syrian population from having the domestic gas, the fuel for uh, their cars, their transport truck and the gasoline to uh, um, be able to function their industry. They are preventing them from having raw material in all um, kind of industry. But I don't think Syria is going to give up. And that is uh, the problem that the Americans are going to face. There is going to take a long time for the Americans to understand that it is like Iran. Syria is not going to submit, but Syria indeed is going to suffer and it's going to take some time for Syria to stand again on its feet. But I don't think Syrian will accept to give up uh, to the Americans after nine years of so many people who died and the destruction they've lived uh, through, to, particularly when they know that the Americans have supported Al-Qaeda and have supported ISIS. And as uh, General Michael Flynn said, we saw ISIS migrating from Iraq to Syria, and we just watched it. And the Syrians remember, they're not going to allow that to happen. They're not going to allow the cities, the, the Christian cities, to completely destroy and occupy by the jihadists. I don't think this is going to happen again. And finally, let me ask you about the genesis of the Caesar Act and its legitimacy. There are questions about the allegations made. So we are supposedly sanctioning Syria over uh, allegations of widespread torture uh, based on a single Syrian defector known as Caesar, who was uh, says he was a photographer for the Syrian military. And in the reporting, what a lot of media accounts have missed is that about half the photos were of victims of the Syrian government. No doubt there were heavy, there were signs of heavy torture on, on those victims. Uh, but also the other half of the photos were actually victims of the militants, of the insurgents, and photographs of their attacks, which, which does not get reported. And the impression from this large cache of photos from Caesar is that they were entirely government atrocities, when really, according to Human Rights Watch, it's about 46% of the photos were of casualties on the pro-government side and 54% were of casualties and victims on the uh, opposition on the opposition side. Um, but putting that aside, what do you make of the, uh, of the premise? And, and there's no doubt that the Syrian government commits torture. That's, that's an established fact. But what do you make of the premise then of these sanctions that the U.S. has the right to impose these overwhelming sanctions on a country based on 
allegations of torture inside his prisons? There is no doubt that the uh, security forces in Lebanon torture people when they are arrested. There is no doubt that uh, the Syrian torture people when they are arrested. Saudi Arabia, the best allies, the Emirates, every single country in the Middle East torture people when they are arrested. But that's not the issue. It's not to cover up torture because torture is bad. But if we look at the Caesar Act itself, it is implemented by the Americans for humanitarian reason. If we would like to believe that, we start questioning, well, what happened in Abu Ghraib in Iraq was by the Americans. And that was an interrogation technique by the Americans where they torture people and they use dogs and all other disgusting means. If we look at the black site where um, people were arrested and tortured, and the waterboarding and all the um, tools used by the Americans to torture people, that we're talking about a, a democratic country that is not supposed for its own value to acknowledge, to accept torture. Now, if we go to something very recent and we talk to Khajukji's case, where he was not only tortured, but he was dismembered at the embassy and the only thing we hear from President Trump is, I don't want to lose the Saudi money. So it is absolutely ridiculous to say it is uh, implemented for humanitarian reasons. Because I don't think the U.S. cares about humanitarian reasons when sanctions are imposed on Iran, when sanctions are imposed on Venezuela, on uh, Lebanon and on Syria, and when torture is applied by the Americans uh, themselves and their allies in Saudi Arabia, where people are beheaded in the middle of the street and arrested at the age of 14, and they waited until they are 18 before they cut their head off. So it is not a question of uh, being sensitive to humanitarian issue and to why Syria is torturing or not. It is only a question of politics. It's a question of U.S. dominance. It's a question of submitting Syria. It's a question of preventing Syria from being part of the axis of the resistance that is extended from Yemen to Iran, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, and Gaza. This is the whole thing about the uh, any act or any U.S. sanction imposed in the Middle East, particularly on these countries that represent the axis of the resistance. Elijah Magnet, veteran war correspondent, thank you so much. Thank you.